0: happening now? We'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 198 for November the 18th, 2020. My name is Wes Fryer, coming to you from windy Oklahoma City, where actually at school we lost power for a while because of winds. And there's, uh, there's still some strong winds going on, which sometimes means fires and... Anyway, it's, uh, we're not, you know, we're not living on the coast of Nicaragua getting hit by two category four hurricanes within two weeks. So they, we got that going for us, but we're not here to talk about hurricanes. I don't think we're going to talk about the technology news. And I'm joined as always by the guru of the North, the great white North, of Montana, <laughs> the Jason. guru of the North, <laughs> Jason Neifer. How are you tonight, Dr. Neifer? Good
1: evening, Dr. Fryer. I am well, thank you. Uh, I am again joining you from Missoula, Montana, where we're getting a brief reprieve from winter. Uh, it's raining tonight, which means that it'll probably freeze a little bit overnight, but we've had highs in the 40s. Although my in-laws, who have a, uh, a cabin on the Missouri River uh, uh, just outside of Great Falls, Montana, north central Montana, uh they reported that at the kind of top gate of their property it was 62 degrees today so that's uh quite warm for november montana as usual has always uh, uh a super interesting
0: weather cuz you guys had snow already
1: we did. We've also had a below zero temperature already, too. And it's it's a little early for that, especially in Missoula. Missoula has kind of later serious winter. Uh, our winter is shorter than it is east of the Continental Divide. So, you know, if we have a serious snowstorm and below zero weather in Missoula earlier than, you know, maybe middle December, that's early season for us. And in October, we had our first very, very, very cold weekend.
0: Sounds good. Well, we're, uh, you know, continuing to have, have our mild year with, with, you know, the exception of the ice storm that was the worst ever in terms of number of days of, with folks without power. So fortunately we, we maintain power. So we are going to talk about technology news and there's a variety of, of headlines. We're really not, uh, not in a slow, slow week. I know we've had some of those before. So, uh, Dr. Neifer, you want to kind of tell us how this is going to work tonight.
1: Sure. Well, uh, first and foremost, we have a lot of links to talk about tonight. We very rarely get to them all. And so if you're interested to see what we're reading and what we're where we're sourcing a lot of our discussion information, you can go to our website at techsr.com slash links and go to the Google Doc, which is hundreds of pages now, I think. Uh, we're almost at our 200th episode. We are two episodes away from that monumentalist occasion. So it will definitely happen in December. Um, but you can go all the way back to the beginning of our show uh, back, I believe in 2016 is when we started, uh, beginning of 2016, and you'll know, see what we've been talking about over time, or just see all the links that we're talking about. But tonight, we've got some privacy surveillance news, I w- will guess that we'll have some extensive discussions about both uh, recent releases from Apple, and also there's some Google news that's hanging out from last week, plus breaking news from this week, copyright, web development, some maker stuff, security, uh, some home IT adv- advice from Dr. Fryer and Dr. Neifer tonight to talk a little bit about if you're spending more time at home, maybe building up your home IT skills or sharing this with family members, our favorite category every week, potent potables or miscellaneous, depending on how you want to put that. And of course, we'll end our episode with the geek of the week recommendations uh, of things that we're paying attention to in the technology world. So Wes, where shall we start tonight?
0: Well, let's start with some positive, uh, and I put this under that lovely miscellaneous category. Uh, this is from Ars Technica today on November 18th. FCC takes spectrum from auto industry in plan to supersize Wi-Fi, and there's actually a couple elements to this, and... You know, as you might expect, there's a political layer to this. Surprise, surprise. But basically, um, there's a, a part of the electromagnetic spectrum, which is managed, I think, in every country by the, the government, um, the government in power. And it has been designated to be used for emergency communications between cars. The director of the FCC, um, Ajit Pai, do I say his name right? Ajit Pai, I think. Ajit Pai, thank you. Uh, said that like 99.9% of all cars don't have this uh, equipment installed, and basically it just hasn't been been utilized. 99.9943% was actually what he said of the 274 million registered vehicles on the road. So uh, the criticism was this thing is being, you know, shot through at the end of the Trump administration and. Perhaps should wait until a new administration with new leadership, you know, comes to comes to power. But half of this spectrum uh, is being given to uh, openly licensed or just uh, yeah openly licensed Wi-Fi. And it's adjacent to existing home Wi-Fi spectrum. And so the, they're saying schools specifically, as well as medical folks, are going to appreciate this. It's going to lead to faster, um, faster Wi-Fi standards because we're going to be able to have, you know, a greater hype, a greater amount of the spectrum, you know, utilized for those transmissions. And then the other half is going to be used for a new kind of um, automotive emergency and communication uh, technology, which it has a, it has a uh, clever, um, uh, clever acronym here, cellular vehicle to everything C V two X. But anyway, crit- critics uh, say there's really not enough spectrum there to use for that. And, you know, it was political, but I think it's interesting. And I think that the idea of faster Wi-Fi in school probably sounds like a good thing. Of course, we're going to need larger pipes of data coming into schools. And, you know, that's the promise of 5G is that everyone's going to, you know, be able to walk into school with their 5G capable device and, you know, potentially have more bandwidth than the entire, you know, school or school district has currently. Maybe not if you're a enormous school district, but um, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's interesting. So, I thought that was positive, probably not going to yeah. change your lives tomorrow, but uh, it's a bit of good news, which, you know, is, is good to have today.
1: Well, and a the theme that I'm going to be talking about uh, in 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 both of our Google and Apple news tonight is that you know it it doesn't really feel like it, but technology is evolving very quickly. It always has been, um, but in the last you know 20 or 25 years, you know, if you go back to where we were in 2010 or 2000 or 1990, that uh, technology has evolved dramatically. And I, I I think you're going to start to see some um, noticeable changes in networking. You mentioned 5G; that's definitely a part of this, but we're What this article tells me. Is that we're going to start to see some interesting implementations of of new ways of doing Wi-Fi. And I have to say, we'll talk about this a little later in the episode. But Wi-Fi can be pretty wonky. And for anyone that's been a tech director in a district like Dr. Fryer or um, has has served, uh, I've I've done this. I've done IT work as part of my teaching gig before, where I was I had a period off to help teachers with things. Wi-Fi is pretty wonky, and uh, uh, implementing it in a stable way is still pretty difficult. And the more technology evolutions we can have behind that, I I think the better off it's going to be in schools. Where would you like to go, sir? Well, um, I want to start with Google in case it becomes a rabbit hole, because I think Apple will become a rabbit hole tonight. But lots of interesting things going on in the Google world. And I want to start with some some carryover news from last week that I actually think is related to the Apple news. But. Chrome Unboxed report November 11th that MediaTek, which is not known for its uh, uh, innovative processors, has unveiled a 6 nanometer CPU designed just for Chromebooks. And there's a lot of of additional tension, or I'm sorry, tension to that. Uh, Kevin Toefel at About Chromebooks also reports that this new MediaTek technology is is really extraordinary. It can provide really, really interesting bits. But I think something's happening right now that's going to change some things that I've been concerned about in Chromebook land. Um, I've never used an ARM processor uh, Chromebook that has been satisfyingly fast to me. And in fact... Um, the two that, I, that uh, and I, I've never owned one, we've had one at work before that we utilize in, in part to see more of the student experience with super cheap Chromebooks. And then I had a trial one for 48 hours once uh, to take a look at. And it was always very frustratingly slow. Now, that said, the, the slow experience is, is is a lot with the low-end Chromebooks, right? It's not unusual to get a low-end Chromebook that you know, may seem like it's a great deal until you try to do something productive with the Chromebook. Well, maybe
0: remote learning with video conferencing and other kinds of applications. Lots of Exactly,
1: tab. exactly, right. And in fact, my my sister, um and I won't mention where she teaches um, uh, on the very odd chance that uh, uh that their IT people is listening, but she's been issued a pretty mediocre Chromebook uh, uh, to do. She's remote teaching right now. She's a fifth grade teacher. And um, I will tell you that it was a big frustration to her because, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a dated Chromebook. It was four or five years old. It was still getting updates. So it's not like it was an outdated and an obsolete Chromebook. It's just an older Chromebook, but it started off not as a very uh, speedy Chromebook in the first place. And so I ended up sending her, um you know as part of the vast you know knifer laptop archive. Just
0: one of the screens in your home, right. And and what
1: I ended up doing was was I took a uh it was a four or five year old a Lenovo uh Windows laptop that was kind of my test bench for Windows. It's pretty stacked out. It had a really great i7 chip in it and 16 gigs of RAM. I put Cloud Ready on it to give her the Chromebook experience because she likes Chrome, uh, uh, Chrome OS and, uh, it immediately made a huge difference for her. We paired that with a, a, a nice HP monitor, uh, new monitor to create a, uh, you know, a better situation for her. And almost immediately a lot of her problems went away. But the, this notion that ARM based chips are starting to really excite, I would think, Technology enthusiasts, not just you know, because they're cheaper price, but because they're starting to turn into really competitive chipsets. We'll talk about that in greater detail in a moment with Apple. But this has got me thinking a little bit about the notion of I, I've spoken of in, in past episodes that you know Google's now supporting Chromebooks. It's six, seven, eight, nine years in some cases. That's okay if you have one of the premium Chromebooks. Uh, a couple of the Chromebook models that I own have an i5. One has an i. Uh, an i3 chip in it, they have 8 or 16 gigabytes of RAM, but as an example of, you know, where I'm concerned, this is a Lenovo N22 Chromebook, Um, it's something I picked up for a song, um on eBay and uh, it's 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 aimed at the education market and one of the ways you know that's because it's got the handle on it and so this is an educationally minded Chromebook um and this is actually a managed Chromebook we've plugged it into our our domain at at Montana Digital Academy the state virtual school where I serve as the assistant director and this is one of our student example Chromebooks right like we we test out uh a digital assets on here that are a little more processor intensive so multiple videos on a page, larger images on a page, uh, 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 an HTML5-based uh, interactive to see what it looks like on here. And I have to say that it's it's an okay experience. This is a four-year-old Chromebook. It has two years left in its its life uh, before it's no longer supported by Google anymore. But it's not very satisfying if you're trying to be a power user. And I know that that term can obscure things because the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people perceive that our students aren't power users. But the bottom line is, if we want them creating, if we want them interacting, if we want them on Zoom or Meets or uh, WebExes or whatever uh, uh, video conferencing technology that you're utilizing, I think it's pretty darn important to have a pretty uh, a, a decent Chromebook. So the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I think that we may be on the verge of some very interesting Chromebooks that have that ARM-based chip, the MediaTek ARM-based chip in it. And that's what Chrome Unbox is suggesting. That's what Mr. Toefel over at About Chromebooks is suggesting – and, um, I have to say, I'm looking forward to, you know, it sounds like middle of 2001. I'm sorry. <laughs> middle of 2021, uh, we're going to see, uh, some of these new, uh, 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 ARM based Chromebooks released. HP, I know, has a couple that are definitely in the pipeline. So we may see faster low end Chromebooks, which might make that particular platform, I think, that much more, uh, uh interesting and a longer term play, uh, because if it does last seven years and it's got a chipset that stays fairly speedy for whatever the modern web looks like in 2027, that's really interesting. So, Wes, you've been an IT director before. Uh, you are an Apple user by by personal choice, but I know there's Chromebooks in the house over at the Friar household. Um, you know, w- any thoughts about this evolution?
0: Got got my 11 uh, inch Dell Chromebook in my classroom, pulling it out when kids, you know, don't have a device or need a charge, don't have a charge or whatever. And yeah, we're using everything uh, every day, basically. So we got our sixth graders. I teach fifth and sixth grade, so sixth grades on iPads, brand new. Gen sevens and and uh, actually fifth graders are on older ones. One thought is, you know, how long is it going to take these things to ship? Uh, when we were looking at ordering stuff in the summertime, you know, um, iPads were supposed to ship a little bit sooner than the Chromebooks with the the third party um, resellers that we were talking with, but you know, if if you hadn't ordered by early in the summer, you know, they were talking about November like this time frame for getting your Chromebooks. So I think the uh, prospect of faster processors, and, and as you allude, that means a potentially greater return on investment for schools to be able to hang on to them longer, uh, get more money out of them, more value. All that sounds good. But, you know, how quickly are these things going to be available at scale for schools? Uh, I know that we are going to be buying some devices and um, you know, there's a, a good possibility that some of those are going to be Chromebooks. We've got a fleet of, you know, Chromebooks that are aging. And <clears throat> while it is good that the licensing is extended on some of those, um, you know, they're, they're, the oldest ones are absolutely not up to the task of remote learning when it comes to, yes. you know, video conferencing with uh, Google Meet, which is what we're using for our middle and high school, and then trying to do some other things and just having a bunch of tabs open. I mean, it is it is painful and the trackpads are kind of painful, too. You know, uh, in fact, I'm thinking here um, we're not remote right now. We're I don't know how many schools in Oklahoma are. We've got surging covid numbers and, um, you know, we've got. Stuff's happening. We're, we're just trying to make it to Friday. Next week, we got the whole week off for uh, Thanksgiving break. But, you know, there's a good likelihood that all of us, no matter where we live, are going to be doing some remote learning this winter as flu season kicks into high gear and as we're, um, you know, dealing with, with this surging uh, virus. So I think that uh, all of these things are relevant. And I, the, the other thought I had was, you know, what do we need to prepare? You were talking about your sister. If you're going remote as a student, as a teacher, you know what is your optimal situation and And I've mentioned to my kids, and I probably need to tell them again if you've got another device besides this older Chromebook uh, that you that you have currently um because we've actually been you know comparing chromebooks and and ipads and trying to make a decision on what we're going to do for the entire middle school for four grade levels. Uh, That decision hasn't been made yet. We're still weighing options. But basically, you want to have some juice. You want to have some power uh, because video conferencing, you know, it takes some CPU processing power and some RAM. And, you know, certainly if you're on an, an ancient Chromebook with like two gigs of RAM, I mean, you're really hurting. Hopefully, you've got at least four gigs. But it is um, important for us to think about what like you said, what is it that we want students to be doing, and hopefully it 's more than just you know email and word processing. it has to be you know we live in the the media um, the media era, uh, the, the, you know, the video is the pencil of the 21st century. If our kids are not working with video and I'm not just talking about watching them, if they're not creating them, if they're not using media, they are not developing the kinds of literacy skills they need to be good citizens and also to be good entrepreneurs, employees, whatever kinds of roles that we're going to play in the economy in the years to come. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, a couple
1: of other uh uh, uh kind of quick Google notes, uh, one other article from last week that I, I I I want to mention in part because I have a personal experience here, a YouTube premium um which is paying $10 a month for a set of benefits. Uh Google is starting to let you know a little more directly how much you're benefiting from that. And they're also starting uh, to advertise it again. And Chrome Unbox reported on November 11th that, uh, first of all, it keeps telling you how great of a deal it is. And um, the other thing that they want you to know is that the app has been updated to try to let you know, you know, how many ad-free videos. And, well, let me tell tell you a little bit about Google Premium to start off with. It is $10 a month. Um, I've been doing it, it I'm, I'm saying for at least five or six years, at least it, since it's it, it, pretty close to when it started. And I think you buy it now for $11.99 a month is the, the current price. But the idea is, is that first, when you're logged into your account, all your YouTube videos are completely ad-free, right? So no pre-roll, no uh, banner at the bottom of the YouTube video, that's all gone. Uh, you, On the YouTube app, you get what's called background play, which means that uh, if you want to listen to a YouTube video in the background, play music or listen to it while you're working on your phone, then it enables that on the app. Um, You also get access to YouTube Music, which is kind of, sort of, a a Spotify alternative. It's a little more nuanced than that because it it has YouTube backing it. And then you can also, uh, one of my favorite features is on your cell phone, you can download offline videos, which means that one of the things I used to do on airplane flights, you know, remember we used to be able to fly on airplanes, uh, is I would sit in the airport and get on the Wi-Fi and pick, you know, 10, 20, 30 YouTube videos that interested me, and it would Download them to my phone so I could watch them uh, on the airplane. It's a great way to pass the time on an airline flight. And, um, you know, it, there are other, uh, um, you know, other kind of sort of benefits are there, too. Uh, YouTube Kids are, is ad-free. Um, you also get... Uh I, I they used to have YouTube series that was for YouTube premium only, but they're migrating those to free, but you at least get them ad free when you do it. But they're starting to to put ad to the app to remind you how many hours of ad free video that you've watched. And I went into my app and it told me that since July eighth, which is when um they started uh kind of categorizing this and keeping track, I've seen 140 hours of ad-free video. And um, you know, I oftentimes talk to Friends that uh, you know, I, I tell them about. I love all the kind of uh, shows that are on on YouTube. People that are creators sharing information. Um, I watch uh, a tool collectors channel. I watch uh, Mike, my my coworkers at, at coworker at the Montage Academy's mom has a YouTube channel. Uh, I watch occasionally her her shows, and I have all sorts of hobbyist uh, shows that I watch pretty regularly on YouTube. A lot of cooking channels and you know i've i've told the other people about them and they they will sometimes ask me about things like well what about you know all the advertising like they feel like they're getting assaulted almost by the ads and the bottom line is, is i don't really remember that so just something to keep in mind and i thought that was a kind of an interesting um article any thoughts about YouTube Premium? Are you a subscriber, Wes?
0: You know, I haven't even given it a try. I do feel assaulted by ads, and that's I. I purchased and and set up a Raspberry Pi. Um, I think I don't know if it is a four. It was just about a a month or two ago, less than two months ago that I did, that I set it up. And that's that. Sad? I don't even know which model I have. But it, um you know, ha- there's a what's called Pi Hole, and it's a way that you're supposed to be able to block ads. And what I wanted to do was block the ads on on Apple TV. On my computer, uh, I run the UBlock origin extension, which is fantastic. I could drop the the link in here in a minute. And you know, that, that takes care of me. But when it comes to devices that we're hooking up to our televisions, uh, which do not allow for extensions. And when it comes to smartphones, at least the, the iPhone, you know, there's some limited ad blocking, but you know, not on, not on YouTube. And I mean, obviously Google has got to make money, right? Uh, so I don't know. I I might cons- might consider giving giving that a try. Um, but honestly, your geek of the week from a few weeks ago about you know auditing our credit and debit cards and making sure that we don't have any you know monthly recurring charges on there that we have forgotten about and we you know authorized a long time ago. We we kind of need to do. So I need to do more on the the cutting back side. But I do find myself watching you know quite a bit of YouTube, and um, it's it's a fantastic. Fantastic platform. Uh, it's just it's very interesting to see the directions that Google is going right now with both consumer and then the impact it's having on some educational things. Uh, they're making changes. You know, stuff is not not static. It's very dynamic.
1: And then a couple other qu- uh, quick ones, and then I would imagine we've got some stuff to say about Apple tonight too. Um, Google has announced that the Expedition app is going away, which is our virtual reality play. Um, the good news is is a lot of that content is going to, go into the Google Arts and Culture app uh, as opposed to just disappearing, but it's unlikely to have its virtual reality uh, ability. And I have to say, I, I know a lot of teachers that are super into the Expeditions app. I know, Wes, you also noted that Tour Creator is also being killed off as well. I know a ton of classrooms that have utilized these really, really great platforms for creating cool stuff. Uh, inside of their classrooms. It's sad that it's going away, but the fact that I've heard really only classrooms utilizing them, I don't know a lot of uh, kind of end user consumers that have really got into this kind of tells you maybe why Google is going in that direction.
0: I wonder if it's part of a, a lessening of their educational commitment, sadly, you know, because the The article um that you posted mentions that you know in the global pandemic they are realizing that they've got to invest in, you know, video conferencing and other kinds of technologies like virtual reality and augmented reality are not yet mainstream. And it's really kind of an outlier innovator, early adopter sort of thing to, to be doing that. Um, so, I mean, I get that part and, and in terms of their resources, but it, it does sort of feel like maybe Google, well, I mean, the big thing was, um, Oh, who's the Google chief, uh, evangelist that was the, the other keynote at Montana Mountain Moot? See? We're, we're, showing our age, Jason. We can't get the answers just like this. Peggy will help us maybe. Um, it just, it, you know, he lost his position. They, they let, they let him go. And, um, you know, that paired with, you know, everything for G Suite is not charging. You got his name?
1: Uh, Jamie, um, that's all I got. Cassip.
0: Cassip, Thank you. Yes. So, I mean, that, which is shocking. I mean, he is just the best, I think I couldn't imagine a better spokesperson for, for Google education than Jamie Cassif. Um So I don't know. It just, it, it doesn't feel great. And well, the weird thing is I just have been doing with my fifth and sixth years this fall, actually my Spanish students, we've been, we did a, uh, virtual tours of of Mexico. And then with my sixth graders on their iPads, we did, you know, we did a fun little spreadsheet activity of a, of a trip and, you know, kids calculated budgets. And then they, you know, made a little tour on tour creator. I, I guess, you know, Google maps and Google earth are, I mean, they're still there and they're not going away, but Google tour builder was being sunsetted already. And so I thought that Google tour creator was the new, you know, tour platform and it plugs right into expeditions and, and then it goes away. So I think that's, that's sad.
1: That yep. sad.
0: Here's a positive though. Uh, Google, I, I, maybe this doesn't qualify as an event, but this is a uh, Ars Technica from uh, November 18th. Google pay relaunch transforms it into a full financial service. And this article has a link to a 30 minute video, which very much had the feel for me of, of, of an event, you know, like Apple event, but it is, and they, it's well done. So again, just like Apple, if you, in, in terms of videography, in terms of visual storytelling, watch part or all of Apple's recent events and the ways that they've had different people come up and they intersperse these, you know, very amazing, you know, videos and, you know, it's just there, it's just professional videography done Probably as well as it could be for, for a product launch and for product marketing. Similarly, Google knows what they're doing too. And so this, um, presentation, just a content aside is really well done. But uh, this <laughs> reminds me, they're becoming a little bit more like Vimeo, <coughs> excuse me, Vimeo and, um, PayPal and really trying to get into the direct, you know, person to person payments. Got a really cool feature. If you're out with friends and you need to split the bill and you can just say, here's the bill. And then everybody can pay their portion directly from the app and it, you know, splits it equally uh, right away. I don't know if it means you still would get charged or if it would hold off till everyone. Ships in and it pays, Um, but the other thing that's really neat. So the article I put in there uh, talks about privacy issues. Like, oh no, you know, Google's going to have access to now all of your financial, you know, expenditures. Well, evidently they they are designing for privacy, and you you can choose whether or not you want to receive custom apps or not. That's not turned on by default. Interestingly, if you do opt in, it either says "opt in" or "I'll try it for three months, then ask me again." Um, so anyway, they're and they're saying they're not selling that to third parties, and they're also not going to be cross-pollinating other Google services, you know, with "oh look, Wes just bought, you know, a new smoker, and now we're going to, you know, bombard him with, with ads about this on YouTube or some, on other, you know, Google properties that um, aren't, aren't aren't tied to the, the payments app. But, you know, like Apple with their, their Apple, uh, one card or whatever, and just with, with Apple Pay, there's such a huge, huge financial market out there, and with Google and its, exp- its, um, its capabilities to design just phenomenal user experience, um, I'm personally excited about that, but, probably most interested in the insights portion, which reminds me of Mint, M-I-N-T. Mint is free. You get ads and offers, but you're able to connect your bank accounts, credit cards, uh, you can set your budget, you can have goals. Uh, it is a it's a great, great idea. And so many people have trouble managing money, finances. This is like, let's take it back to the classroom. We need to be helping prepare students for real life, not just Taking algebra two, you know, like they have for a hundred years, um, and so um, you know, no, no offense directly and personally to the algebra two teachers out there who may be, may be listening. Um, But we need to be doing financial literacy and we need to help kids acquire these kind of practical skills. So I think it is very positive that Google's doing this. I'm excited. I actually signed up from a security standpoint. This is important. Like who do you trust, right? We are talking about your finances, your bank accounts, but just like you can connect different kinds of bank accounts, but not everything to mint and, and banks have come along. So your local bank may not be connected yet, um big banks are are being connected and then they're having this new service you can sign up on a waitlist for called Plex which is going to be a uh with city and then there's a some uh, credit union from Stanford or something but it's going to be um a more fully featured uh banking solution okay and my last thought about this is search oh my gosh you know google has started as a search company google photos Look, folks, if you're not using Google Photos right now, what are you doing with your pictures? It is incredible. I mean, not only the, the facial recognition, but also being able to put in different words and search and put in different queries. You're going to be able to do that same kind of thing, like, say, food last month or food in August or whatever. And boom, there you're just going to see all of your your expenses. And so in terms of taking stock and auditing, you know, where your money is going, what you're doing, um, I think it, it's really it's really great. And obviously I am a Google fanboy and I trust Google. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit sad to see some of these changes that have happened recently, but I also recognize it's a dynamic environment. We want companies to make money. Now I'm not saying Google's at risk for making money. They're not. They're one of the biggest, you know, companies out there, but anyway, I'm overall still a fanboy. So Jason, are you a Venmo or? Zelly or PayPal or, or all of the above, uh, what, what is your, and do we want to disclose that on the air because we know it's going <laughs> to and someone's going to immediately, you know, try to hack us if we say what we use?
1: I right. I'm, I'm a long time PayPal user, um, uh, and it's just convenient for me more than anything else. I was hooked to my eBay account. And then I, I did try to, and I can't remember the name of, I think it might be Venmo, that, yeah, it is Venmo, that I, a friend of mine, uh, Venmo'd me twenty bucks a couple weeks ago and um and it's very convenient i mean i I would say, but if that's all wrapped into the googles uh that would be um, um that would be better absolutely better for me I mean what creeps me about out about Venmo is that i mean it is a social payment platform, right, and some people don't shut off the notifications of who's paying things for what and like that, that part creeps me out a little bit. I don't need my finances to be social. I have enough of my life that's social. I don't need to add finances to it. But, you know, I, I'm not surprised that in the same way that Apple has diversified a bit by going into those financial services uh pieces, I'm not surprised Google's going in, into that direction as well. I've never uh, really been able to get, I mean, I, I have Google pay going, I've never pulled off. The uh, uh, contactless payment with either my phone or a watch yet. Uh, assuming that's because I go,
0: back, you don't have an Apple Watch yet.
1: Well, yeah, and I, assuming I go back, which that's actually a great segue to our our next topic. But assuming I go back to Apple stuff, then there's a decent chance because I know my friend Mike, who's an Apple guy too, loves to just wave that watch in front of a payment terminal and then look back at me um, with a a look of deviousness. So I, I, guess that brings us to the next piece. We talked about most of the actual news. Oh, I do want to mention, you, uh, Wes also shared a great article. 95 Google noted, uh, Google's, uh, Black Friday deals and they are selling some stuff at very, very significantly discounted prices. And so if you're looking for Google stuff, the hardware, the, uh, speakers, the Nest Minis, the, the Home Max for 50%
0: off, 150 instead of 300 bucks. And it used Which to be 400.
1: Understood. It used to be 400 bucks. And my understanding is that speaker is amazing. Like it sounds super duper great. So, you know, if you're interested in that, uh, you know, Black Friday stuff are coming. Okay. So, uh, last week we noted that after an Apple keynote, the M1 Macs are here. There is a MacBook Air, there's a MacBook Pro 13, and there is a, uh, uh, a Mac Mini all with the new M1s. And the hardest part about this was that for about 96 hours after that was over with, there was just a lot of hand-wringing speculation amongst the tech media about these new Macs. The greatest thing about Tuesday of this week, so yesterday, is that people have them in their hands now, and they're able to tell more about it. And I, I, I'm i linking to a really great article from 9to5Mac from yesterday that uh, basically takes all of the, the major Mac reviewers and puts all their videos in one place, and it quotes a number of the the premier reviews and i have to say the thing sounds awesome that we've had benchmarks that said that this was a very impressive Uh, 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 a hardware platform, but now we have it in people's hands and they're reporting that it's a very impressive platform. And um, there are tons of interesting things. I think uh, uh, in in the reviews themselves, I would strongly suggest watching two or three, if you're interested in, in being an early purchaser of this, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of great reviews that show you what it looks like to load up any application. But in addition to that nine to five Mac article, I would also point out that uh, Mac Rumors reports number November fifteenth that the M1 chip emulating x86, in other words, the M1 or the new laptops emulating the old style of operating system apps, Intel apps, uh, is faster than every other Mac single core benchmark, which means. That it is very impressive uh, that it 's going to be as fast or faster than every previous model, even though it 's running on a new platform, and it gets extraordinary battery life and it 's very crisp and and uh, uh, a relatively low heat. Um, and then a couple other pieces here, and then we could talk about, uh, maybe some specifics. Uh, uh, Microsoft has also, uh, released a universal Office app. It's in beta right now, so you have to be on a beta channel. It's not that hard to do that on, on Mac Office. So it would be native to the M1 chip, even though it will work just fine either way. And I know from some friends uh, on Twitter that purchased uh, M1s. Uh, Google has released a version of Chrome that is native to the N1 chip as well. So a new version of Chrome for Macs that uh, is intended for the new um, uh, uh, the new laptops. So I have to say, I you know I'm not in the in the market for one of these for a couple months yet. Maybe the January reviews look different, but I think I'm sold. So I'm gonna. Upgrade at work. Uh, my big decision is a Mac Air versus a MacBook Pro. Um, there are two differences, two major differences between the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro. The first one, the Pro has a fan. And the reason why that is a big difference is because with these M1 chips, they are built to be mobile first, right? Because that, that's that's their architecture. came from Apple's mobile development. And when they get warm, they tend to slow down. So having a physical fan... In the, the laptop itself adds a little heft to the laptop, uh, decreases the battery ever, ever so minimally, but it also increases the speed that you can push things through. So that is interesting. I also learned that, and this, this seems kind of brilliant, um, the MacBook Airs, the graphics Processor has only seven cores in the MacBook Air as opposed to the MacBook Pro which has eight cores. And the reason why it's, it's the exact same chip but in the manufacturing process sometimes the chips don't work out and only six cores work, only five cores work. And so they're able to utilize the seven core processors in the MacBook Air uh, because they only promise seven cores. It's still pretty speedy um, and it's still a great chip but it also decreases the overall Price of the experience for the end user because they don't have to have perfect uh, eight core chips for the MacBook Air, and so I thought that was super interesting and also kind of clever on, on Apple's part from an industrial design standpoint. Um, so Wes, I mean, I, I I we I know we talked about it last week, but anything changed for you now that the great um, uh, uh, the great reviews are out?
0: I mean, I'd love love to get one. I'm just not up up for the refresh and not gonna, you know, fork out that fork out that money. uh, Peggy and I are talking a little bit. She's deciding really between an air or a mini. I was recommending she if she doesn't need to be portable, which she says she doesn't need to be, go with a mini and go for a big screen. You know, that you can pick up a a large, very high resolution screen, and I think be really happy with that. So really, the only thing I think would be on my near horizon. Might be a second screen. Um, I, I'm fortunate to have this 27-inch uh, iMac, which is great. But you know, even like with Zoom or whatever, Zoom, Google Meets, whatever, it's really nice to have a second screen. Great. And I, I would probably do that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting, but it's just not that season of of life for me to be looking at a new machine. Pretty cool that right. you're up for that though, because it's well timed, sir.
1: Yeah, it is. And so, and then, so then, of course, and I, I won't go too much into this because it's this just my ridiculous thinking, but, uh, I probably means I'm back in the Apple architecture, at least for a while. So I'm looking at maybe buying an older iPhone, um, maybe an 8, maybe a, an X. Uh, to kind of get me back there, I would like to buy an Apple Watch at some point, and then the tablet's less important to me because um I don't spend as much time on a tablet, but the newer tablets look nice, so we'll we'll take a look. Uh, I would go with
0: out. if you're looking at an eight, I would even look at an SE because that's speedy, that's a really yes, nice processor, and yeah. um, you're gonna still have the home button. And it's in you know the old form. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm totally happy with my eight. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, see what Swappa is selling. You know, the eights for. But
1: yeah, that's, that's, that's point. exciting.
0: It's going to be exciting to hear uh, hear your views. It's always interesting when somebody who has been deeply invested in another architecture and another you know operating system and environment, you know, is is getting into something else. You've just got that uh, you know very nuanced perspective because you you know you didn't just have a, a small dip into this other environment. You you can really do a lot of comparison. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what you say.
1: Well, and I will tell you that the fact that Chrome is native to the M1 chip Punch my ticket. I mean, I think that I spent all my time in Chrome world. I'm never going to be a Safari guy ever. Sorry. I just won't. Um, I'm a Chrome guy and I hear it's, 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 it's acceptably speedy. So we'll see how that plays out. So um, a couple other quick uh, uh, other Mac articles, uh, Mac rumors uh, reported uh, on November 14th, that a very reliable, uh, uh, I guess Mac rumor estimator person has said that Apple has something left in 2020 to, to, to release and it's going to be their Christmas surprise. So we'll have to see what that looks like. And then Wes, um, I think you dropped the article in about the uh, app store. We've talked about
0: the app store uh, revenue in the past. You want to, Jump on that one for a moment. Uh, I will. That's pretty interesting. So if you make less than a million dollars on the App Store, uh, you can now apply. It's an opt-in to have Apple, instead of taking 30% of your revenue, uh, take 15%. And so there's some conjecture there in the article about why they're doing that. There's some antitrust uh, lawsuits going on right now with Apple um, and, you know, fights uh, over over what is called the Apple tax. Uh, so not exactly sure. Why they're doing that, but I'm sure, you know, the tech correction, as we've spoken of in terms of the potential for impending regulation on our technology companies, um, not just for social media, but for other kinds of things like antitrust might have something to do with that. So interesting, probably not going to have an impact on us, but it could mean that more money for independent developers. And I think that's great. You know, we don't. I don't think we benefit as a society and as consumers when we just have the big fish eat the smaller fish and we end up with less competition and fewer players. I think it's fantastic for folks to be able to be independent coders, independent entrepreneurs, and be able to make it. And so, you know, getting 15% of more of your revenue can be a really big deal if that's your bread and butter is putting stuff out in the app store. So I think this is going to be an exciting announcement for the developer community and, It'll uh we'll see how many people it, it affects because they are going to have an application. So maybe they're just going to kind of, you know, ease into that. But it seems like right. that a response to some antitrust stuff, maybe especially happening in Europe. Well, and one of the things
1: that I miss about the Apple uh, environment is there are a lot of very spirited, independent developers on the Apple platforms. And if you're into clever, interesting apps that do interesting workflow things, that environment is way more prolific on, on the Apple uh, uh, world than it is on, on PC world. And, I, you know, I've, I've been... Um, well, I mean, I've been off of Apple stuff since, I can't remember if it was 2013 or 2014, but my, my beloved uh, MacBook Air 11 died in a epic battle with a cup of coffee and I just didn't have the financial wherewithal at the time. Although I've bought, you know, stuff since then that well exceeded what an Apple uh, laptop would have been. Um, but the bottom line is, is that it's not, uh, um, uh, uh, it, well, it, it's interesting to me. So we'll see where it goes. And I am very much looking forward to, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, purchasing the hardware. It looks super great.
0: Absolutely. Uh, let's pick up a Facebook article. i uh, put this at the, at the top. This is from Input. i not heard of this source before. From November 13th. Facebook's tracking tools are even worse than we feared. Uh, and this is a reference to some recent congressional testimony given by Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and so one of the things that Zuckerberg claimed he didn't remember the name of it, but he revealed uh, is that apparently Facebook has a tool which is able to connect our activity by the IMEI number, which is kind of like the MAC address, I guess. Uh, each device has an I- IMEI number. Um, I think the MAC address yep. is actually attached to your network card. So your Wi-Fi would, if you're on a, you know, computer, for instance, your, your Wi-Fi has a different, uh, MAC address than, than your Ethernet card. Uh, and those things can be spoofed, but your IMEI card is a, is a unique identifier. And so I know a couple of weeks ago or whatever, we've talked about VPNs and use VPNs. And, and that's one of those things I was saying. I don't know if the VPN would actually, you know, um, you know, uh, Obscure that or obfuscate that. And what this, what this points to, uh, just like the documentary we've mentioned on the show several times, the social dilemma that's on Netflix, is that there is a vast trove of data that continues to be collected about each one of us. We largely have no idea the scope and and the the breadth of of that cloud of data that's being collected about us that's being sold that's being used um with you know with our quote unquote consent but uh, i'm trying to think of the podcast i was just listening to well actually i think this was edward snowden i'll, I'll mention this uh it, it's from the ted radio hour and i'll mention that in the geek of the week but like if it's really not a choice, you really can't give consent or i don 't know something to that effect and anyway, the way that facebook operates and and some other companies there's some question on whether you know what is what does consent mean and how much choice do we really have and and what are the the things these companies are doing with with our data. Again, the tech correction. We need it, Jason. When will you run for Montana legislature? We need your, <laughs> we need your voice to bring forward the tech correction. I mean, seriously, th- this kind of stuff is going to take years to do and we are going to have to have, you know, very, uh, educated and intelligent members of Congress who are going to be able to, um, work with, work, 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 work with these issues and, you know, try to, to not, not only <clears throat> hold You know, corporate interests and, you know, the desires for corporate profits up, but also, um, you know, things like privacy, you know, rights that matter, um, a whole lot of, of other issues that go beyond financial, you know, that are important and that matter. So any thoughts about Facebook? And do you think how, how do you feel using your VPN? You're, I guess you're, you're, I mean, does it, does it give you, you know, that somebody in the local coffee shop is not sniffing your packets?
1: Right. Well, um, I don't know. I Facebook's hard because I really would like to get off of that that platform. I think they are not doing a very good job at earning my trust. But I'm connected to so many people. I want to stay connected to there, Absolutely. and especially right now. Right, like I, I feel like that my connection with a lot of people, um, you know, I there, I I could think of at least two dozen people out outside of the state of Montana that I would have physically seen, um, if uh 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 um if COVID hadn't happened, right? And I'm not saying that I'm I'm talking to them daily, but this um uh it's it's a little rough so um i I don't think there's gonna be regulation i uh, uh I've seen a number of articles that talk about that the prospect of biden figuring this out is not any any more successful than Trump having figured it out, which he he hasn't done much in 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 this arena there's a lot of over dramatic, uh, you know, congressional hearings about this. There was another one this week where the CEOs of Twitter and Facebook appeared. Uh, Not, not interesting, um, because I know there's going to be no action.
0: There's more facts and more grandstanding by some politicians, but yeah, I, I agree. Not really some action. Let me pick up another quick one. That's just sort of a single article in the topic. We got a copyright topic. This is Ars Technica from November 17th. Can you tell I read a bunch of Ars Technica articles today? <laughs> uh, GitHub agrees RIAA claim is bunk, restores popular YouTube download tool. This was in our show notes, but I don't think we actually talked about it a few weeks ago. But the Recording Industry Association of America was able to convince Microsoft, which owns GitHub, to take down an open source project which allows folks to download YouTube videos. One of the things with fair use law in the United States that's important if it's going to be fair use is that there are legitimate legal um, uses, like that every use is not illegal. And the RIAA was arguing that this was, you know, completely illegal, subverted, you know, the um, DMCA, the Digital Millennium Rights Copy- Copyright Act, right? Whatever. DMCA. I don't know. Whatever that acronym is. Uh, anyway, that it was, that it was bad. And so, uh, the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which we have mentioned and cited on the show before, filed a brief on behalf of GitHub, and pointed out that, yes, there are very legitimate legal uses for this, and this was an overreach. And so Microsoft, in its response, said that they're going to not only engage lawyers, but also uh, coders and the techies when they have this kind of a copyright claim. Uh, And so that's really positive. I actually needed to do this today for my students. I had a video uh, about Cuba uh, for my Spanish students I wanted to show. It had a small little part that wasn't, horrifically uh, inappropriate, but I just didn't want to have that in for my fifth graders. So I just, I needed to download the video and just cut that little piece out and show it to them. Uh, I actually used another tool, Y2Mate, which I had, had used before for our our show and it worked great. But anyway, that's a capability that yes, I'm sure there are folks that are using things illegally, but just because something is used illegally does not mean that, you know, piece of software would necessarily be, you know something that needs needs to be banned so yay EFF and you know fight on i'm i'm glad glad to see that success
1: yep absolutely and then, um, I want to share one other article, and I think let's, let's push our, uh, let's push our Wi-Fi guidance to next, next episode, because I, I feel like that could be a, a another interest, somewhat interesting rabbit hole, but I wanted to point out, because I know people are looking for distractions at home, but, uh, Zenet reported on November 2nd that the Raspberry Pi 400 is out. And it is a really interesting package that's available now. It is obviously the Raspberry Pi, which is a single board keyboard that has all the computer integrated into a single board. It oftentimes has very low power use uh, requirements and can perform as an actual computer. But this one... um uh is the Raspberry Pi 400 keyboard model which is $70 and it comes it kind of looks like the old Commodore 64 the whole computer is built into the 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 actual uh, keyboard itself and I've seen some video reviews of this I mean this is not a high end keyboard by any stretch of the imagination but it comes with a kit that has 4 gigs of RAM Um, you bring your own uh, uh, micro SD card for storage. It has ethernet ports uh, on it and a charger comes with it. And it uses one of these ARM chips that we keep talking about um, all the time. And then the you know a 78 key keyboard but if you're looking for a project and it, there are literally thousands of really interesting projects on the internet type raspberry pi project into google and you can build all sorts of things from robots to uh uh uh, t- tel- uh set top tv boxes to desktop computers uh the raspberry pi is is uh uh big enough that you can actually have 2 4k displays, uh, uh hook to it, which is just extraordinary. I have, uh, in, in, in older windows box at home, that can't do that. So, uh, it's pretty extraordinary stuff for, 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 for 70 bucks.
0: And I learned a new term. I, I set up my raspberry pi as a headless computer, which yeah. means there is no yep. graphical user interface. If you're just gonna, you know, interact with it via the command line from terminal on the Mac or putty from your windows PC or whatever. Um, yeah it's uh i those sorts of things push my geek quotient because you know i don't i don't live on the command line like some people i know uh do but it um it's powerful it's you know important to it sometimes those those kinds of skills are are vital uh so yeah if anybody has a suggestion for raspberry pi project i should try i would be open to that because i have one that is really not working the other thing i found when i installed pihole which is the uh you know Ad blocker, uh, Raspberry Pi project is it really slowed things down. Even though that is a zippy Raspberry Pi, you change, with that, you change your DNS. So all of your traffic for your network goes through it. And, you know, compared to Google or whatever, it's just, it's so, so fast. So. Incidentally, that's something that's come in handy at school. I think our DNS server locally is working better. But at some times, I think it has actually been a point of a bottleneck for our school network. So it's good to know how the Internet works and what DNS is. And you don't have to use your local DNS if you have access to that setting on your computer. Sometimes it can make a big difference in speed depending upon where you are. Absolutely, We did did pretty good on the articles. I went ahead and moved in the show notes, pushed to next week if we want to take, take those up next week. So awesome. Well, Wes, share your geek of the week. One, I'm just going to do one. Uh, so I have found a lovely tribe. In addition to being here in the Jason EdTech SR tribe each week, um, I really, really immediately is. Important and I'm going to be, I am grounding myself professionally and right now for the future. So there's a wonderful conference that before COVID was happening face to face. And I went there two years ago in Rhode Island, uh, the Media Education Lab, uh, that is Renee Hobbs initiative. Um, they have a great, great, conference, uh, which I attended virtually this summer along with the Moodle Moot. Those were the two best conferences I went to. And anyway, they have a media club. The media club is open to everyone. So anyone can join the first. Um, Monday. usually so our next meeting is actually going to one time and there's a great TED radio hour cast from March of this year, March I think 20th of 2020 uh, the title of it is called IRL online uh, if online and so I recorded this week a little 8 minute video preview episode uh, which you can catch the TED Radio podcast they did in September um they have about 6 different folks that have been um well that that have given TED talks because that's what the TED Radio Hour is right they they take folks who have spoken on the TED stage and they uh, amplify them and so anyway um these are are some names you might know some some that you don't um but there are 5 of them and uh it's just fantastic and it and it really hits a broad range of topics um, uh sort of tech correction you know where is regulation going specifically in the EU privacy ed snowden is one of the people that's on here um you know uh, talking talking about facebook and um the issues that that are raised in in the social dilemma um although this preceded that documentary it is really fantastic so Shout out for that. Uh, join us. Uh, you can find the link in the YouTube description to the Facebook page and you can get contact, you can get in contact with Sam. It's a Zoom, a Zoom call. And so if you get on that list, you'll be able to receive that and join us. It happens at 12 PM Eastern, which is 11, sorry, 12. Yeah, that's right. Noon, which is 11 AM, um, our time in central time and wherever that is for your spot.
1: Awesome. And I saw that Manish Marodi, uh, also answered you back on Twitter today, which I was fanboying yeah. a lot. I'm a huge oh, fan. Yeah. She's so great. So oh, um, yeah, I'm so excited that you got her attention too. So, and then I, I, I shared an article today that, that probably mimics what, what both, uh, Wes and I would tell most, most users is that you're stuck at home. And you're working at home, whether you're teaching at home or you are doing a job at home that you would otherwise be doing in an office, and you're stuck there with your laptop, or you do have a desktop machine, you have a single monitor. For the love of all that's good, please buy a second monitor and plug it into your your desktop, because the bot or desktop or laptop. Because the bottom line is is that it's not just us saying that this is better. There is research behind the notion of being of being more productive, and I, I, I share an article this week uh, from Nets. Star that refers to some of the research in regards to productivity and maintaining focus and the importance of multiple monitors. Uh, the reason why I mention this is because you can buy really great second monitors for, for next to nothing. I'm currently using a, I think I paid $109 for it on Amazon. It's the corporate 24-inch um, HP monitor, right? This is nothing, it's nothing special. There, it doesn't do anything fancy. Um, uh, it does have three ports in the back, which for, for nerds, would is a pretty, uh, 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 thing. But I have a massive sized 4K monitor that I look at. It's my main monitor. It's, it's, it's super high res. It's 32 inches. It's, uh, 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 you know, really wonderful. And then I have this HP monitor that I've actually flipped over on its side. I have it um, uh, in, in portrait mode as opposed to landscape mode. And, um, you know, it's, they're mounted on arms on my desk and it does make me more productive. In fact, so much so that I sometimes wonder if I need a third, but there's research behind this. If you're working at a home, $109 investment for one of the HP standard corporate uh, flat panel monitors is worth your time and investment. So, Research now supports.
0: And Peggy's asking some questions as far as uh, ports and things like that. Today, with USB C, I said USB 3. I should have said USB C. It's incredible what could be driven there. And so, that's probably just about all you need is going to be your USB C port that's going to come off of your new MacBook Air or your new. Mac mini, whatever you choose to go with, uh, you will need that adapter that goes to HDMI. Uh, but it's, there's, there's a ton of video that can be pushed through those connections. So. Absolutely. Good, re- good recommendations. Well, Wes, uh, where can people find you on the internet? I am W Fryer on Twitter. Speedofcreativity.org is my blog that I irregularly post to, but I am regularly sharing things on Twitter. And uh, also my curriculum site where I'm posting my media literacy and Spanish lessons for this year is at um, mdtech.cassie.org. How about you, Dr. Nyberg?
1: I am at Tech Savvy Teach, and I also work with the Northwest Council for Computer Education, www.ncce.org. And we will be announcing the opening of the registration of our March
0: conference soon. There you go. Very good. Excited for that. All right. Well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight on the EdTech Situation Room. Uh, We want to remind you that you can find small 32-kilobit MP3 audio versions of our show, as well as almost a hundred meg video versions. If you happen to want to download a podcast feed of, of videos, but you can always see us on YouTube. We want to encourage you to subscribe wherever finer podcasts are are found and curated. You should be able to tell your smart speaker to play the latest episode of the EdTech Situation Room, and it should actually work. So that is a pretty cool thing. And until next time, uh, we want to encourage you to stay savvy and stay safe. And look forward to a future episode where you may hear Dr. Neifer talk about his experiences in the Apple ecosystem. I look forward to it with bated breath. Good night. Good night.